So our series, Moxie, which means courage, it means grit, it means strength of character, it means you're determined. And to meet someone with Moxie, you know that they're a special person. But we're going even further, and we're talking about Christian Moxie which is much different. In fact, Christian moxie brings you to a whole other level. And here's what Christian moxie is. It has all of these things. It has courage and grit and character and guts. Yet at the same time, you have found a peace about you that cannot be shaken. You have found a happiness that cannot be lost in a joy and a contentment. And here's how you know it. Here's what happens. The world around you could be giving way. Yet, because you have found the unshakable grace of God, you're good. And that's what it means to have moxie. And last week, here's what we did. We made a shift because last week we were talking about, uh, before last week we were talking about our personal moxie. And we have made a shift to talk about a community of moxie. In other words, together, what does it look like? What does it mean for us together to become a community of moxie? And what we said is that if you have discovered the irresistible grace of God, then it creates in us together an irresistible faith community. I told you last week that the church in America is failing, and the reason it is failing is because we are failing to take hold of this message that we proclaim to be true, that we believe to be true, yet we're not living like we believe it's true. And because of that, we are no longer an irresistible faith community to the people around us. Not, and I told you guys, no, 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 you're special. Talking about other churches. No, I'm talking about all of us. I'm serious. We've, we, we need to take an honest look at the lives that God has called us to live into. And, and I want to tell you this. People should not love the Grove because we have great music. People should not love the Grove because there's sermons that are maybe good. People should love the Grove because of you. People should love the Grove because each and every one of you, you have found grace and it's coursing through your veins now. And as it's coursing through your veins, people walk into this room and it's filled with people who have grace coursing through their veins. And because of that, this community becomes attractive. It becomes infectious. It becomes irresistible. There's something, and I'm really mad at myself. I wanted to talk to you about it last week, and I forgot to talk to you about it. So I'm going to tell you now, uh, and I want you to know this, and I mean this completely. Your presence here on Sunday mornings is way more important than you realize. Because if it's true, if everything I said is true, if by faith, when we take hold of this grace, that means it's coursing through our veins and it's pouring out of us to others. That means that the more of us who are gathered together, yeah, you're going to come here and you're going to grow. You're going to come here and you're going to discover the grace of God more. You're going to come here and you're going to go to new levels of understanding with God. However, what, here's what also happens. When people come here, they're welcomed into a community that has an irresistible grace. And that means that the more of us who are gathered here together, the more irresistible the community becomes. 
So it is absolutely vital, not just for the sake of your soul and your mind and your heart, but also for the sake of the world around us, that you're here on Sunday mornings, that you make it a priority to be here. It's not enough to put on a good show. That's not what we're after. We're here to be changed by the transforming grace of God. And if we are, it should be absolutely irresistible to the people around us. But it doesn't happen unless you're here. And most people love the idea of this irresistible type of community where everybody's loved and everyone's accepted, and yet we have the strength and the grit to challenge each other. We love the idea of that. But we don't necessarily love the idea of being the people who make the first move towards it. So we wait for someone else to make the first move. And what I'm just here to say right now is just make that first move. Do what it takes. Because what I long for is I long for us to look back at this moment right now. I long for us in five years to look back at this series and this sermon today. And I long for you to say, that was when it was the time when I said, I'm going to go for this. I'm, that was the time when I said, I'm going to be on board for building this type of community. And I'm going to be on, I'm getting on the bus. And the thing is, you got to get on the bus you got to get on the bus. Like, we've got to do this together. We can't do this separately. All of us together have to make that move, or else everybody's going to keep waiting. So let's just get on the bus, and let's say together we're going to build an irresistible faith community, and throughout this series, we're looking at what that means. Philippians 2, verses 1 through 11. So, if there is any encouragement in Christ any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility. Count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to your own interests, but to the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being found, being born In the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is the Lord to the glory of God the Father. So last week... Chapter 1, verse 27, the writer Paul hits us with something very hard, and here's what he throws at us. He says, live lives that are worthy of your citizenship that is now in heaven. In other words, every single Christian has been given papers of a new citizenship in heaven. And what he says is, live lives that reflect the life that you would live in heaven right here on the earth. Don't miss this. And as you live that life here on the earth, it will become an irresistible faith community. And then, if you look at our verses today, combining that, because that's what Paul's doing, we've got to pick up, we can't just read all these verses by themselves, and so if you combine it, here's what it's saying. When you love 
others, it becomes irresistible. The peace that you have, people see it. See, where did we get this peace from? It's, uh, it doesn't make any sense. I'm attracted to this. It means you have courage. It means you have determination. It means that you're someone that's like this. Someone knows you, and they look at you and they say, I don't know what it is about that person, but I could tell them my worst sins, and I feel like they'd still love me and accept me, yet at the same time, they have a grit and they have a strength about them. They're not soft, but they're strong. And then our verses tell us, where does that come from? Where does that strength come from? Where does that love come from? It comes from Christ, right here. Everything, absolutely everything is about going to him. Absolutely everything. It says, if there's any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from his love, you have both courage and comfort at the same time. That is moxie. And some of you right now, you are trying so hard to live moral lives. You're trying so hard to be good. You're trying so hard to be an irresistible person. You're trying to be a successful person. And you are running in circles frantic trying to accomplish these things. All the while, Christ is standing right before you, waiting for you. And as soon as you go to him and you get in his presence, guess what happens? He begins to transform you. You seek moxie all you want. You'll never find it until you arrive right before Christ. And you begin to look into the depth of who he is. And you spend time with him. And just by being in his presence, he will transform you. Moms and dads, we look at our lives and we keep saying, man, I know I should be a better parent. And it keeps happening. I should be better. I should be better. And we keep telling ourselves this. And you know what we're doing? We're running around frantic. I want to just, I want to give you some permission real quick. When everything's crazy, just turn the TV on. I know, I know you're not supposed to do this, but do it anyways. Turn the TV on and just open up your Bible. And just start praying and reading the Bible. All right, I'm giving you permission to do it. You're like, oh, thank, thank you, God. You turn it on and you just spend some time with God. And guess what's going to happen? Your soul is going to be enriched. And you're going to be healthier spiritually. And that's going to give you life emotionally. And physically, it's going to start like, because you're a healthier person now. And so now you're going to have the energy to be a better parent. I'm not saying the TV's the answer. I'm saying when you open up that Bible, when you start spending some time with God. Your jobs. Let me just try this. The middle of your day, stop what you're doing and just start praying. And start praying for the people that you work with. And just start spending some time with God and see what God does. I bet something cool is going to happen. Because when you do, it says that you will be encouraged in Christ. You will be comforted by his love. And you're going to be participating in his spirit. Do you have any idea what it means to participate in the spirit? Meaning this, by faith, the spirit of God now dwells inside of you. And inside of you, the spirit of God is crying out for Jesus Christ. Longing to spend time with the son of God. And so you, the spirit inside of you takes you to him. And you experience him. 
in grand ways, but, but, but you have to be intentional about this. And you've got to stop saying, you know what, I'm satisfied with the way my relationship with God is. You've got to say, I, I, you know what, I'm a little bit discontent about this, and I know, I know there are greater depths to go to with God, and so I'm going to go for that. But you don't do it by yourself, too. I mean, it, it, the verses are talking about unity together. Look, we live in one of the most individualistic societies. Every one of us are lonely, and we have no idea that we're lonely. We need to do this together with each other. Like, hey, I mean, this is, this is again, this is stuff of moxie. You're saying, I'm really wanting to see God's kingdom come in my workplace, I'm failing, and you're talking to your friends about it, and they're praying for you as you're seeking to do that. This is different stuff than what we're used to, but this is what Paul is calling us to live into. Set an alarm on your phone. This is a time in the day where you're just going to pray, in the middle of your work day or whatever. Just start setting, just be intentional about it. Okay, so we want to live with this moxie. It comes from Christ, all from his grace, but listen, listen, listen. There's the essence of how it begins, and here's how it starts. Humility. Humility. That's not a word that we talk about a lot. It says in verse 3, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. You really don't understand this word humility. We're missing what it actually really means. Let me, let me throw this word out. Let me throw this out to you. Humility is not thinking more of yourself or less of yourself. It is thinking of yourself less. It's not having a low view of yourself. It's simply not thinking of the self. We tend to think that conceit is someone who has this high view of themselves, but actually someone with a low view of themselves is also conceited. They're also prideful. Why? Because they can't stop obsessing about themselves. Someone with a low view says, I keep failing, I keep failing, I keep failing, I keep failing, and the attention is fixed upon that person. It's just this obsession with the self. So someone who's unhappy with themselves... They're looking right at themselves. Maybe that's you. You're putting so much energy into all the ways that you are not measuring up to who you think you need to be and you can't stop looking at yourself and you're staring at yourself. I'm a failure, I'm a failure, I'm a failure. That's pride. Because it's you just staring at yourself, no one else. You can't get your attention off of yourself. The person who is this self-grandized person who's just like, look at me, look at me, look at me. Same thing. You will never be humble and count others as more significant than yourself until you forget about yourself. And the only way to do this because you're not going to do it. You're not going to do this unless one thing happens. Unless you see the grace of Christ. Because do you have any idea what the grace of Christ does to you? Do you know what it's doing to you? Do you know what it can do to you? Here's what it does. You are so, like, you just want to be worthy. You just want to accomplish what you need to accomplish so that finally you can hear from God, well done, I love you, you're doing a great job. 
you're obsessing over that and you're trying to fix yourself up. And what the good news of Christianity is saying is that God has handled it all for you. That Christ has come. He's lived this perfect life, this beautiful life, this majestic life. The very definition of what it means to be a human being and live the life that's meant to be lived. Christ goes and lives it. And then he says, here, it's yours. I'm going to credit you with my perfect record. And if you're saying right now, well, that sounds like cheating. Well, I'm telling you, if that's the case, you're never going to get your eyes off of yourself. Because you're never going to feel like you're measuring up, and so therefore you can never think about others because all you could think about is making yourself better. But if you finally hear these words, you are fully forgiven forever. Everything is right. You can take a breath, and you can now be free from obsessing over yourself because now everything's good now you have come to realize there's nothing you can do or not do that's going to make god love you more or less he's just loving you and it's constant you can mess up his love is constant and so guess what you don't have to worry anymore everything's okay And then what happens? You start seeing other people who don't think it's okay and you have something that they want and that they need and so now you can offer them the grace of God. Now you're counting others more significant than yourselves because you're not thinking about yourself anymore. There's a story about a woman. She's interviewing, the story goes something like this. She's interviewing great leaders in England and the first leader she interviews she leaves that interview thinking that man was the cleverest man in all of England. And she thinks there's no way that this next interview, there's no way this guy's going to be better than the first. She goes to the second interview. She's blown away. This guy's way better. Why? She doesn't leave thinking he's the cleverest man in England. She leaves thinking she's the cleverest woman in England. In other words, he lifted her up. Who will you be? What type of person are you going to be? You will never change the world around you. You'll never be someone with moxie until you stop obsessing over yourself. And it will never happen until you realize you don't have to anymore. Everything's good. Everything's taken care of. You ask this question, what do you want people to say about you at your funeral? When you think about that question, the things that you long to hear, they're only going to come if you can count others more significant than yourselves. And then people will say, this person lived a life of love because they lifted others up above themselves. But you got to find the grace of God before you have the strength to do that. So we can picture the difference between humility and conceit like this. So humility is bringing yourself low, putting your hands underneath someone's feet and hoisting them up. Pride and conceit looks like this. You climb a ladder up, so you're above everyone else. You tie a weight around someone's neck, and you drop that weight so you can be above everybody else. That's the difference. Conceit makes you work for your own glory. Humility makes you work for the praise of others. Some of you are saying, well, I'm not not that 
conceited person, but are you the humble person? Because if you're not, then you actually are the conceited person. And I think we all got to be able to admit, like, that's us. Conceit makes you work for your own glory. Humility makes you work for others. Now, here's what I mean. When someone is, okay, here. If someone is better than you at something that you, you love, like, this is kind of like the, your thing, and then all of a sudden someone comes around and they're way better than you. You know that feeling I'm talking about, right? That feeling in your gut, that feeling that somebody, like, you were known for this and they just stole it from you. And it does not feel good. Or, do you find yourself gossiping about others? Do you know what gossip is? You know what you're doing? You're climbing the ladder, you're tying a weight around someone else's neck, and you're dropping that weight. You're tearing them down because you, you want to feel better. And so by doing that, you feel a little bit better. And in fact, actually, when you gossip or you hear someone else gossip, a little bit of endorphins run to your brain because you're starting to feel good about yourself. Not because you're so great, but because someone's getting torn down. So, and, and I'm sure you've seen this before, and I know it's not none of you guys. Someone, you're in a room, and someone says something bad about someone else. And someone says, what, what are we talking about? And they're all excited. Why are they so excited? Because someone's about to get torn down, and it's going to make them feel a lot better than about themselves. What, what's going on? They're insecure. And they can't stop thinking about their own insecurity, so they are desperate to hear something about someone else that's bad, so they don't have to stop thinking about how bad they feel about themselves. And I can't tell you, I cannot tell you this, how many times I've heard someone say, someone was going to go to a church, and they didn't go to that church because there was someone that went to that church that had spoken bad about them at some point. Somebody said something to this person, and then they said something to the other person, and then that person said something to the person that it was about. And they know who said it about them, and they go to whatever church, and so they're never going to go there. I mean, think about this. Say there's someone here who, is, who has a friend that they love. And they just want them to come and hear about the grace of God so they could get the freedom that, that you, you might have. And so they finally say, yeah, come, come, and they're going to come. And then they find out someone comes here that has spoken bad about them. And they say, ah, I can't do it. I can't go. That's taking all of the work that someone is doing to expand God's kingdom, and it's ruining it all. I think we all need to, like, we should be, uh, like, we should be dropping to our knees right now saying, God, I am sorry. I've interfered with your kingdom expanding because of things that I've said about other people. And I hope that it does not get back to them. But guess what? It's okay if you have, because God's grace. However, if we're going to become a community, an irresistible community of moxie, we got to understand that gossip is absolutely terrible and it tears people up. So, here's the mistake you're probably making right now. You're thinking, man, I got to change. I got to fix this. I got to stop doing that. Or I got to stop doing whatever it is that I got to stop doing. I got to stop. I got to stop. I got to stop. So what are you doing now? You're still, it's still, you're still looking at yourself. 
Do you see the problem here? Do you know what we need as human beings? Do you know what we need? We need something so glorious that we will finally stop obsessing over ourselves. We need to be, we need to be captivated by a beauty and a majesty and a glory that finally we cannot look away from. And then by looking at this glory and this beauty and this majesty, we stop looking at ourselves. Not because we're trying to stop looking at ourselves, but because we finally discovered something that's glorious enough to finally set us free from our own self. We will continue to be prideful until we found a glory that's strong enough to rip our pride away from us. Verse 5 says, Have the mind of Christ. This doesn't mean Christ is an example to you. He's much, much more than an example. If somebody says to you, oh, Jesus is just an example of how we should live, no, 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 no. He's a glory that we give ourselves over to, and when we give ourselves over to him, he begins to transform us. But you got to go all in. And when you see him, you're transformed to be like him. So how is he? What is he like? Here you go. And I hope you're ready to worship because this is the stuff that gets you to worship. Even if you're trying not to worship God, this is the stuff that says, makes you do, okay, I have no other choice. I'm going to do this. I'm going to worship God. So here's what he's like. The glory of Christ, what does it look like? It looks like humility. You come into the presence of Christ and the first thing that you notice is there's a humility about him. In fact, what's so weird about Christianity is that it is his humility, his willingness to lay down his glory that makes him all the more glorious. What is this humility? The humility of the cross. God on the cross. Nothing's going to save you from your pride until you look there. Let me read this to you. This is verse 6. Who, Christ, though was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself, taking the form of a servant or a slave, being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. He did not count equality with a th to God a thing to be grasped. Do you know what ruined everything for humanity? Do you know at the core of what we longed for that caused this giant fall into the world, this giant curse to just like an infection get spread all throughout the earth. Do you know what it was? You know what we were told? If you grasp that fruit, you will become equal to God. If you grasp it. What does he say here? Jesus, though in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped but emptied himself. He had every right to grasp 
that glory. It was his. But he grasped something else instead. He took hold of the cross. And the cross was for us. The cross is meant for you. The cross is the place where you go if you have tried to steal away the glory of the only one who deserved the glory. If we tried to grasp it from him, steal his throne, steal his glory, that is what is left for us, is the cross. And yet, what does he do? God comes into the world and grasps what we deserve so he can give us life. And because he did this, we look upon his humility in awe. We see his glory and we realize we're free. Because glory is so amazing, we're in awe. We can't stop looking away. And now, guess what? You're not looking at yourself anymore. You have forgotten who you are in a way, but now have found the real you. The real you that's meant to not obsess over the self, but to give to others. We see God humbling himself, and that somehow makes him all the more glorious. And now we fix our attention upon him, and we are finally satisfied because we feel the weight of our freedom that we've been searching for. We've been searching for it. We're tired of thinking about how great we are or how horrible we are, and we finally just can stop thinking about it and fix our eyes on someone glorious enough so that we, can't, we don't want to turn our eyes away. And now, when we hear the name of Jesus. We drop to our knees and we confess, He is my Lord, He is my God. Some of you are so consumed by your situation and you need something glorious enough to steal your attention away from your situation. Some of you are so consumed with your self-loathing and how bad you feel about yourself. And the only thing you need is something glorious enough to steal your attention away from yourself. And some of you think you're the greatest gift in the world. And all you need is something far more glorious than you. We're satisfying for far lesser glories. We need something beautiful. We need something grand. We need something greater than ourselves. And that's what we see in Christ. But it's Christ crucified. You'll never know God until you look at the cross. You'll never know who he really is. Because if you want to know who God really is, you must look at the cross. The very definition of God is love. And the greatest display of love is for someone to give down, give his life up for his friends. And so if you want to know God who is love, you must look upon the cross. And then when you look upon the sweet face of Jesus Christ on the cross, there, that is where you have met your God. And that is the place where you discover his glory. The glory that was willing to lay his life down for you. The beauty that was willing to become ugly so that you could become beautiful. And that makes him all the more beautiful because he's willing to become ugly so that you could become beautiful. There's no one like him. You want to know him, you have to look at the God who died for you. Did you hear that though? God died. For you, for you, God died for you. 
God has died for you. You have no idea the glory of what I've just said. You've got a glimmer of it at best. We could spend our lives searching into the statement that God has died for me and we will continue to look into it and discover new beauties and new depths and new glories to that statement every single day that we look upon it. And if we're going to be a community that is absolutely irresistible, we've got to be a community that sees the humility that God went to the cross on our behalf and we look at the glory of that all and we drop to our knees. And because of that, this grace is now coursing through our veins and we're giving it to everybody that we see around us because we have been so humbled by God who's done that for us. Father, I pray that we would know the depth, height, and width, and length of your love for us in Christ. God, as we're here, we might be here, but we're running from you at the same time. God, I pray that your love would chase us down and you would lavish us with a grace that we've been running from for far too long. And that as you do that, God, that you would force our face to look upon you crucified in our place and that we would say, oh, this is love. This is glory. I've never known it. And now I do. Oh, God, I've never seen the depth of it until now. God, I pray we would give ourselves to you. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.